This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here this morning in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the piney woods of north central Florida, inside the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law, the only official law firm partner in the Florida Gators. We'll talk about them in a moment. And uh, I want to thank cpss.net for providing us security crime prevention. Check out the mug shots and uh, see who you know there and try to um, avoid them if you can, I guess. So uh, this morning is, um, well, I have to, the title of the show today in Coach Hogg's locker room as, unfortunately, wait until next year. You know, i got to talk a little bit about wait until next year because of the enormous amounts of money, more than ever, really, that are being pumped into college football. And when you pump that much money into college football and pay college coaches and their staffs which seem to grow and grow and grow in number each time you hire a coach, uh, you expect results, notwithstanding any kind of excuses. Uh, you might hear that, uh, well, the cupboard was bare and this and that. Uh, we don't accept them as coaches from players, so why should we accept them from uh, uh, as fans from coaches? I know we can't pull a rabbit out of the hat, but once you get behind in this world of um, – identity and brand marketing and all that, you can dig yourself a hole that's pretty hard to get out of. And unfortunately, it looks as if we may be having um, that sort of experience a thrust upon us now with the University of Florida fighting Gators. It appears to be a frustrating fight for fans who pay more and, and um, still suffer parking problems and all that. And really, what is an antiquated stadium, it's going to have to be refurbished and brought up to modern codes or no railings or people expecting now comfortable seats and uh, the stadiums that are uh, out there doing this. That's going to be one of the more uh, expensive tickets coming along. And actually, ironically, we'll probably see fewer people in the stadium when they're finished than they see now. And so... There's a lot of chaos and turmoil in the programs always, and we're going to talk about that on the national level as well. But it's really always disappointing. And I noticed there were fewer people in attendance, it appeared, uh, from the television uh, at the Florida-Georgia game, the largest outdoor cocktail party. There's even some talk of moving it to a home and home. Um, it probably should be. Uh, this is um, an old tip of the hat to the old days of football where uh, Jacksonville was really kind of a place where you could expect to draw some recruits and get some money and all that. 
And now we've got a pro team there, which is once again going to be talked about in a moment, is struggling again, although they get closer to winning, but they're still losing. I've always felt that that was the wrong town for a pro team. Somehow, some way, it's just not synonymous with uh, the teams that you um, have supporting some of the other pro teams around the league. But um, the Gators are being talked about. And, of course, the excuse or the license right now to be disappointed has the wait until next year statement by fans. Well, we're going to give the coach another year because, you know, he's just now acquainting people with the program and uh, we've got to find people this and that one another. Meanwhile, um, it's tougher and tougher to keep guys at schools who are good but who aren't playing. You know, in the old days of football, where my first game I attended was 1961, and then a came Spurrier, there were two quarterbacks behind Spurrier that played more in the NFL than Spurrier did. Nowadays, those quarterbacks would have left the University of Florida, put themselves in the transfer portal, I'm sure, and have gone out of here and gone someplace where they could play in college and then leverage that into a pro contract. They were so talented um, that they were picked up right away by the NFL, if you will. Harmon Wages was enormously talented, multi-purpose guy, fast, big, strong, a whole bit, but he was playing behind Spurrier. Um, He went to the Falcons, still owns a record there of having scored three different ways in one game, if I recall. really was a uh, reincarnation of Paul Horning, so to speak, a big, strong back that could uh, uh, run behind pulling guards and things like that, make some yardage. And then you had Kay Stevenson, who was behind Harmon Wages on the depth chart, as I remember, never played, went to the Bills, had a long career as an NFL quarterback, and then as an NFL coach. Steve, meanwhile, never we punted, but then he sat on the bench behind John Brody, who was an all-pro and never played for 10 years, much at all. So nowadays, we got to be concerned, I think, if I'm hearing correctly, about the quarterbacks behind Richardson. You know, Richardson could play anywhere on the field. He could be a tremendous running back. He could be an outstanding, dangerous tight end. Um, Really something tough to deal with. And notwithstanding his ability to throw, uh, you've got guys who can do what, let me just be kind of speculatively frank with you. We've got guys behind him who can throw and engineer an offense with that team. But we've got nobody on that team uh, who can handle the speed and the power he does, which is pretty much wasted with him at quarterback. I don't think the coaches will ever take him out as quarterback. Coaches are, are they, you know, they tend to get in a rut. Uh, they, and, you know, Steve wasn't that way. He changed quarterbacks in the middle of a game. That's what made him so innovative, memorable, and creative and successful. But co- the coach we've got now is kind of a trudger. He trudges along. He studies all this abstract data and then makes decisions and trudges along and is very much uh, 
um, choreographed, if you will, into a certain formula of play. Not to say that he hasn't changed some things, but that's what I understand him. And that's what I see, how I see him. And I could be wrong. He's not a, a wing it guy, a change it guy. Um, he does have to take some chances with one of the limitations he's got. But he's not one of the characters who can uh, incite a riot on the side of the uh, on the sideline, if you will, with rabid following and people who are uh, daring with uh, their behavior and reckless abandon and all that. Although his kids play hard and Lord knows they're behaving much better socially, it appears, than they were under Mullen, which I suppose was one of his immediate first challenges. And that was to instill some sort of discipline on that team. Uh, it still troubles a lot of us, for example, that we've got four or five uh, volleyball players who are kneeling during the national anthem. Uh, for many, it is absolutely a, 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 an attendance breaker. They will not go back now and watch that volleyball team because of that. I see that. I hear that. I'm told that. I've never attended volleyball to any extent, but I can sympathize with their feelings. You know, here we are pumping all this money into your programs, giving you all these chances, giving you good coaches in the case of volleyball. Now, it's the coach's fault. The coach can stop that. And but the coach evidently is uh, um, willing to jeopardize fan attendance, if you will, uh, by this kind of tolerance. It's a dangerous road to walk, very dangerous road to walk. Ideally, everybody is focused on volleyball in that case or football in the case of Napier. Um, Napier, uh, that, that, that's what your game is about. That's what your coaching is about. Uh, the political stuff is uh, difficult enough for politicians to handle without you players getting involved publicly as a team. Privately, I suppose you have a different uh, behavior you can go to as long as it's not criminal and doesn't embarrass the university. I suppose you can get away with it. But, uh, you know, this line has been crossed. It was crossed by Mullen unsuccessfully, I think. And I believe from what I'm hearing about volleyball, it's been crossed unsuccessfully to some degree there. So it's really wait till next year with the Gators. Um, we're not going to get it. There. And listen, if South Carolina beats them um, at home, we've got you've got big problems. You've got big problems because what built the South Carolina program was Steve Spurrier. South Carolina really had Lou Holzer and everybody else and had a pretty good coaching world then. But Steve put South Carolina on the map there, and um, he's brought them around. And if a South Carolina team comes and beats a Florida team at Florida Field, that was the program was begun, and so to speak, by Steve Spurrier, uh, there you go. So the world of college football is very, very chaotic. It is nothing to be certain about. I think we've got a couple of quarterbacks that could play quarterback for Florida, and they may leave. Uh, it's just as possible now, more possible than it's ever been. Wait until next year. It might uh, provide some sort of uh, uh, 
you know, uh, um, truth to it. But I don't know how long the Gator fans will uh, uh, tolerate this. They haven't had much patience for it in the past. And you got to realize that um, um, it gets more expensive every time because we keep paying people who are not any longer coaching uh, with us but have contracts. So um, the Jaguars continue to disappoint. Uh, They have drafted Trevor Lawrence, and he has failed to live up to the critical expectations. Uh, Again, he uh, was billed as a John Elway, a Peyton Manning, that type of guy. And he's gotten better, I think, under this coach. But he has an interception on first and goal uh, from the one-yard line in the second quarter. Uh, The Jaguars never overcame uh, that mistake. He finished with only 133 yards, and he had a pair of picks. Now the Jaguars look like the old Jaguars. They dropped their fifth straight. Now, admittedly, they've dropped them by fewer points, but they still have dropped. Uh, Meanwhile, the Broncos running back, um, he is um, continuing to do well. The Broncos, however, and Jaguars did do one precedent-setting thing. They played in front of 86,215 fans Sunday, according to the stats I'm looking at, which is the largest attendance for a game in the United Kingdom since the NFL began playing there in 2007. It was also the first game streamed exclusively on ESPN+. Now, this is the future of these sports. The money is coming in from television. The money is coming in to college sports from television. Many, many people like myself, who have fought parking problems to get to games and weathered the heat and the rain and the walks and all that to get to where we're going, are increasingly taking the position, we'll just stay home and watch it on television uh, in the comfort of big screens and things of that nature. So um, I think you'll see more of that. And you can see it by looking at the data coming in now from, uh, nevertheless, you have... 86,000 in the United Kingdom. This is a novelty to them to see an NFL game there. And of course, it spells uh, marketing for the NFL and expansion. But um, the streaming on ESPN, uh, the hybrid nature of television now is just producing more money. Um, So the marquee team right now is the Buffalo Bills. I watched them just really hand it to um, the Packers. And unfortunately, we got a couple of guys here who have been ginormous contracts and are not doing well. And that's Aaron Rodgers and, of course, uh, our boy over at uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, he's not doing so well. And he's been probably overstayed his welcome, as um, um, Don Meredith used to say turn out the lights, the party's over. Uh, it looks as if Brady is going to be the last one to leave the party and should have left a little bit earlier. Of course, they've got a new coach that I'm not all that enamored by. Doesn't seem to be the effective strategist and motivator that the previous coach was. But anyway, Aaron Rodgers uh, 
has, uh, uh, has come crashing to an end right now as a kind of a, uh, a marquee guy. He's on the losing end for the first time in games when Green Bay rushed for at least 200 yards. And uh, they're getting kind of mauled now. The Bills are really exciting. If you want to watch an exciting team, uh, that team has got an aggressive uh, pedal to the metal kind of attitude. Uh, the question becomes now, why when you have a team like the Bills that can call plays really on the run, why do you need a huddle? You don't need a huddle. What do you need a huddle for? I mean, the way we're calling plays now, we can do it by signals or barks or whatever, and everybody pretty much gets the message. You don't need a huddle. So if you really want to wear out the defense, run, run without a huddle. So you're going to be seeing more of that. The one character who got a big trade out went from the Panthers to uh, San Francisco 49ers has been an interesting character to watch, Christian McCaffrey. He's really kind of undersized for a back of his effectiveness, but he has tremendous speed. And that speed is speed that his, he has trained himself to have. He's got natural talent, but he's also trained as if he were a track sprinter. And he runs like a track sprinter when he's out in the open. He's straight up, his head still, and he is, he is running the field as if he were running a 100-yard or 100-meter dash. So um, that is something to keep an eye on, the way that guy, nobody else in the NFL that I've seen runs the way he runs. So, excuse me, um, he is uh, – he rushed for a touchdown uh, and a passing touchdown and receiving touchdown Sunday uh, when they beat the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> so that was a good trade uh, for the um, um, San Francisco 49ers. The parents of this guy are world-class athletes themselves who were very instrumental in um, – creating a, a, an offspring of them themselves genetically. And they talk about it. They talk about it. They, they realize as great athletes, they could possibly have uh, a great um, athletic kids. And Christian McCaffrey is definitely an example of that. Uh, I think his father was a, a distinguished player in the NFL. I've forgotten his credentials, but they were quite significant. Um, the, the, the big, uh, 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 Marquee sign there that 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 is a successful move uh, by uh, the 49ers to pull him over uh, from the Panthers and his his dividends are already paying off. He is um, just the third running back um, with a rushing touchdown, passing touchdown, receiving touchdown. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, Harmon Wages holds that record for the Atlanta Falcons. So that's distinguished company. Uh, Tyrek Hill, I love the Dolphins right now, now that they've got our, our quarterback back. Man, he is the difference. He gets in and moves that team. He can pop that ball. He can find those receivers. He can get out there and get it done quickly, and he's getting it done even quicker now that he's been concussioned a couple of times. He is um, smarter back there. He realizes he has limited time. He throws quickly and effectively, but he's got a tremendously effective receiver 
in uh, wide receiver Tyrek Hill. He is uh, pushing himself for the Offensive Player of the Year honors. He had a 12-catch, 188-yard day uh, in Detroit, and he's up to 961 receiving yards this season, which is the third highest total in history through eight games. He's already had four games with at least 150 receiving yards this season, and that ties him with Mark Duper, who had a 38-year-old team record. Um, Tom Brady, again, wants to sort of, sort of come, close out on the NFL here. Uh, he's suffered his first three-game losing streak since 2002. Uh, I don't know what the future of Brady is. I would recommend um, he rethink his commitment to the pros. Um, it, is, it, is, um, it is just a, a situation that, you know, but he's already told his wife, who told him, as I understand it, it's me or the football. And he said, well, I guess it's a football. So there you go. I mean, that's, I've, I've known those decisions to be um, made before by guys. So um, it's not unusual to hear the story told that way. Big 12. I want to close out here in Coach Hogg's locker room with the Big 12. They are in a conundrum. Uh, the Big 12 uh, is right now losing out since it's going to lose the Longhorns and the Sooners to the SEC to the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Lane Higgins has written about this in the journal. The Big Ten and Southeastern Conference are adding new members. And consequently, you have to remember what adding new members is about. It's about money. Everything in college athletics right now is about money. Okay? Money, money, money. It's not about academics. It's not about the student hyphen uh, athlete. Kiss that goodbye. It's about money. And how are you going to get money? Well, you're going to expand your leagues. You're going to draw in your big teams. Oklahoma and Texas that are huge a loss for the Big 12. Um, and it's going to be uh, uh, tough in the football world. Now, one of the issues that does kind of compensate for it is the Big 12 still is the best basketball league in the country. Even if you got Kentucky in the SEC, it's still with Kansas and Baylor considered to be the best basketball league. So what do you do? You can't make money off basketball like you make off football. They, they, they don't hold as many people, uh, seats in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the stands. And, of course, there's television revenue and there's March Madness. But, you know, football is going to be moving towards its version of March Madness, I think, increasingly, increasingly with playoffs. Um, so there is a the, – the, the theme of today's Coach Hogg's locker room really is a financial arms race is going on in college athletics. It is um, – uh, all an extension of television money. Um, it is 
obviously got all kinds of disparities in payouts between and among conferences. Um, there is um, uh, no question but what the smaller schools and smaller leagues are not going to be. Uh, you know, right now, there's, I don't see how he can stay where he is. Deion Sanders will get approached by one of these big conferences and big teams, and he'll be crazy not to go. He has the ability to draw recruits. He has a tremendous recruiting brand. So it's all going to be about money. Now, wonder whether, whether the, the, the other sports can tag along remains to be seen. Um, the women's basketball and the women's softball and uh, even baseball to some extent, whether or not it can hold any marquee uh, attraction at all. But uh, the, the big one is going to be, of course, uh, this enormous uh, attempt to uh, sweep the table with my conference is bigger and richer than your conference, and therefore my players uh, I can spend more money on than you can, and therefore as a player I'm going to go where somebody's going to offer me the money. Uh, the loyalty to school, I don't think that had much to do with it. Um, loyalty to the coach. To the, to the extent that the coach can attract the money and with his, uh, with his reputation, uh, a brand synonymous with success. But, you know, how long are these coaches going to get? That's the question right now. It's hanging over Gator football. How long will this coach get to restock? Well, it better be quick. I think this season's done. Can't salvage it. We already have heard, wait until next year. Uh, one more loss is going to make it a deeper hole. Um, next year? Suppose there's a losing season again next year. I can tell you that that coach, I don't think, will be around here for a third year. That's just the way the money side of this works. <clears throat> You've got to be competing to get on television at prime times. Already, somebody asked me when they thought the South Carolina-Florida game would be on this weekend. It will not be on, I assure you, at one of the prime times. Uh, that's not going to be attractive to the national audience. The big game, of course, is going to be, and it's going to be a budget buster, and it's going to be a revenue producer, and it's going to be probably the most watched athletic event that weekend will be uh, Tennessee, Alabama. And I'm pretty sure that's the one coming up. Uh, my buddy up in uh, Atlanta saying the dogs look good. They look good not only in terms of depth of positions and talent at positions, but their coach is um, um, got the right chemistry for them and is able to infect them with his fever, if you will. So that's all part of it, too. And I suspect the dogs will look good for quite some time. That's a pretty big accomplishment. When you say, when you uh, consider that Alabama's been the big guy on the block, only time we challenged them successfully was with Tebow and Meyer. Uh, other than that, we weren't even in, in Hunt. You have to go back to Steve's days. Um, so it is... Um, 
problematic that we can ever compete in that level. It's going to be disheartening, I know, to the Gator fans. But you're going to take a look at Georgia. You're going to take now Tennessee, which has done a tremendous job of picking itself up off the ground. And don't count out Ole Miss. That, that still has got that's – that's not a big venue out there, you know. And yet they've done remarkably well. So um, take a look at it and um, make up your mind how you want to conduct yourself going forward. And uh, hope you got a little something out of Coach Hall's locker room. We'll take a little break here now. And uh, we'll be back on the Ward Scott Files after our bottom of the hour uh, weather. And take care. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Word Scott Files. Um, Word Scott here. One thing more about Coach Hogg. Uh, catch the World Series. Very exciting World Series. These two teams are... Uh, pretty exciting. I do watch the World Series, and I think that it's a toss-up in a way, but probably the Astros are favored. But um, they, they, they're filling the stands. So um, 67 degrees right now in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida here outside the Fort Hall Command Center, and it's going to go up into the mid-80s today. So uh, the excellent the air quality is excellent right now. 
we could stay in rain. We could always stay in rain, believe it or not. Um, and we are probably looking at hauling hay for long in the countryside here for our cattle. Grass stops growing, as you know, as I've said, when the temperature at night falls below 70. Uh, the tree pollen night now is low and the ragweed mo- uh, pollen is moderate, not much mold. So it's pretty good conditions right now. As I say, we get good conditions in Florida about this time of year and a couple of months in the spring. There is a tropical storm named Lisa, which is out in the Caribbean, not coming our way, going over towards uh, Bermuda. And there's a, uh, a big snowstorm that's pounding in the Rockies. Uh, they have a wintry condition that's really absolutely perfect for skiing. I was talking to a fellow skier the other day who's younger than I and still skiing. Uh, she says she's going three times this year as fast as she can get there. And I don't blame her. When you get big dumps like that out there, uh, you have some tremendous uh, ski, skiing going on. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening on the Mississippi River, which are kind of strange. It's drying up and it's revealing uh, Civil War uh, era relics on the banks. Uh, I can't tell you. I'm not smart enough to tell you why the Mississippi River is no longer the Mississippi River to the extent it's been. Um, I suppose that's for maybe a whole show on weather someday. But uh, it is uh, it is a more than passing strange. You know, the Mississippi River has been the inspiration for so many, many things, particularly Huck Finn. And uh, the, the Mississippi River with Huck Finn was he wanted to float down the river to escape civilization. Um, but he, uh, unknowing to him as a young fellow going into manhood from adolescence, he floated right into it. And when he floated right into it, he ro- floated right into all the uh, adult issues, racism, politics, the whole bit that Mark Twain so uh, put together in such a dramatic and interesting classical way. The last line, as I remember, and I'm doing it from memory, is that Aunt Polly has got him back and trying to civilize him. And this is the whole point of the story. He wanted to arrest himself in, in, in maturity. Uh, before he had to become an adult, because the adult world is uncivilized, but the adult world thinks it is civilized. So you wouldn't think I could work Mark Twain and great um, classical American literature into a weather report, but that is the basis of the use of the Mississippi River in the adventures of Huck Finn. Um, And it was a very important river, even to the native indigenous people, who capital of their Indian tribes was Cahokia, which is where St. Louis is now. So the river tributary system draining out of the soda area and up in the north, coming all the way to the Gulf, uh, was a fantastic uh, sort of source of energy and inspiration uh, to the American culture and to the Native American culture. So that's my little weather report today. I hope you've got a, uh, a handle on it and you understand now of that, uh, how the Mississippi River is tied to Huckleberry Finn. Who in the world as a weather reporter could have ever worked that into a weather report but yours truly? Huh? Isn't that amazing? Well, 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 I even amaze myself sometimes. Thank you very much. Uh, hold the applause, please. Um, I want to give you an update on uh, a voter beep going on in the state of Florida. And uh, also let you know we have not gone uh, the reemergence of Twitter has not gone unnoticed. I'm not one who uses Twitter. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I, I don't I don't tweet or whatever they call it, tweet or whatever. Um, uh, I, I, I don't see much on Twitter that 
uh, and interests me, although I did check it today and I see now that Trump is back on it. Biden is posting more and more on it. Why? Well, my, my, my. Wouldn't that have have been something if Twitter would have allowed Biden to post, but not have allowed Trump to post? This is such an interesting kind of development. It's going to have repercussions, hopefully, in some other platforms that are out there. We'll also feel the heat, if you will. But that's what you possibly could have had without Musk. You could have had Biden uh, tweeting on Twitter, uh, but not Trump. Uh, Now, Trump, I see, joined today, although initially he said he was going to stick with Truth Social. So um, there you go, the continuing saga. But in the middle of all this, of course, is the whole issue of the control or lack thereof of an objective, honest, uh, trustworthy narrative by the media. And Lawrence Moyer of the Tampa Bay Times has written um, an article that is not, you know, I'll go through it with you a little bit about it, but it's it's an update on an updated form uh, that has now been put into practice by Governor DeSantis. And uh, he announced uh, this form starting in August. The Floridians on probation have been required, I don't know if you know this, to sign an updated form placing the burden on them to determine if they're eligible to vote. Uh, this has been one of the things that we've been wondering about and haven't been able to get the truth about. When T.J. Pichet went into uh, the Alachua County Jail and signed up hapless souls in there to vote, uh, who was responsible for knowing if they were eligible to vote? The hapless souls saying uh, T.J. Pichet led them to believe they could or didn't tell them they couldn't. Now, how would these guys who are hardened habitual criminals uh, care whether or not they had paid anybody back and had their restitution restored them to voter status? That that wouldn't even be, uh, trust me, that wouldn't even be on their horizon. And I'm going to get into that as I cover some statistics on crime. Uh, that's not the way these people think. So we're not talking about a guy who just sort of had a stumble one day and got arrested. We're talking about convicted felons and murderers uh, in the case of uh, the, the uh, sex offenders. They don't get think, their rights back. Murderers don't get their rights back. And all this stuff about these lenient courts, uh, which uh, say, OK, you're guilty, but you're not guilty. And this, that one another. Listen, they, I've sat in these courtrooms and listened to these judges talk to these criminals. And they ask the criminals point blank, do you understand this and understand that? And they have to say yes or no before the judge grants them the sentence or the version of the sentence he's going to grant them. They're asked point blank. They have a lawyer standing right there with them. And the lawyer is asked, as he asks you to write, listen, go, go sit in one of these courtrooms and listen to it. Now, I do think that like many people, we let too many go. We're going to get into that in a moment. Whom do we let go and whom do should we not let go? It's going to, I've researched that some for you on the Ward Scott files. But right now, uh, this form says, by signing this letter, uh, you agree that you are solely responsible for determining if you are legally able to register to vote and that you must solely determine if you are lawfully qualified to vote. 
Now, once again, why would they even be given an opportunity to do that if somebody from the elections office didn't go looking for them? Didn't go looking for them in the case of this thing in the jug. So the Department of Corrections issues the form. It's updated to ensure that everyone on supervision knows his status about his voting rights. And um, they, of course, the, the, the liberals are crying, crying foul. Um, they're, 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 crying, they're crying that this is a, a, a burden on, on people who are, are trying to do right. And, uh, you know, woe is me. It's just going to make future prosecutions easier. It's horrifying. You know, the criminal liars never miss an opportunity to confuse things. That's why they're criminal liars. They're not there. Listen, this thing about a lawyer trying to find the truth, the lawyer's not there to find the truth. The lawyer's there to get you off. So, well, classic example is O.J. Simpson. That was the most classic example in recent lifetime. Most public example. Well, they Get him off. You know? We're not talking about morality or right or wrong or justice. We're just talking about it. Get him off. So, you know, you're going to listen to all this chatter about how unfair it is, uh, how um, you shouldn't have to verify your own self, whether or not you are uh, eligible to vote. Well, come on. I mean, at what time, what point in your life do you take responsibility for your actions? So the issue is yet to come out in these court proceedings. We're hoping we're going to get to this when after the election, uh, this local supervisor elections is going to be put on the stand and have to testify as to what the deal is here on going into the jug to get these guys signed up who later we caught, instigator, investigator caught, and we publicized on the Word Scott files. And then National News picked it up. And when National News picked it up, why finally DeSantis picked it up and created an electrifying election integrity committee and away we go. And now also, uh, probation officers may not give advice on voting restoration, according to this form. Um, that's not what the probation officer is there for. So uh, um, this is, a, is an attempt to clarify, and I, I would say, as a result of our investigation to a large extent, uh, an attempt to clarify who is responsible for misleading these people and making them think they can do something they're not eligible to do. Is it your own self? Are you responsible? Or is it um, the state? And you can see how a lawyer licks his chops at that confusion and says, wow, wow, wow. Um, we got, we've got to uh, take a look at this and blame it on the state. Meanwhile, there is, I've been looking at what is the truth about who is in jail? And, you know, you hear all this talk from the liberals that, oh, we just have this horrible overreach by people. It's racial. Uh, we only pick on black people. Uh, um, they don't really understand the system. The system is set up to protect the white people. Uh, this is kind of how the progressive uh, violin is played. So there's been some research done on this. Um, and what you discover 
And of all people, this is William Barr, who's written this in the journal uh, here a few days ago. He is a member of the Hudson Institute. He's also served as the attorney general, you know. But um, he says that most predatory crime is coming by a small, hardcore group of habitual offenders. So this myth that everybody who stumbles or trips is permanently stigmatized and labeled a criminal, when you research it and drill down, as Barr has done, and Heather McDonald and Jason Riley and some of these people, you find out that this predatory crime, and this is what we're really talking about. See, what the, what the voter law is about is paying back the people you ripped off. What about them? In all these liberal articles, you never, ever hear a word mentioned about the victim, about the victim, about the object of, of the crime that the predator preyed on. You know, predatory crime is just not Danny Raleigh. Predatory crime is somebody watching your, go in your house or leave your house and, and then realize that they're gone and break. It's, a, it's all sorts of levels of predatory crime. But it's basically a hardcore group of habitual offenders. Now, I sit on of the Crime Prevention Board, and we have a link on the wardscottfiles.com to the Crime Prevention website. Uh, um, uh, uh, Crime Stoppers, I'm sorry, Crime Stoppers website. I sit on the Crime Stoppers board. We listen. What we do as a board is we listen to uh, the presentations by law enforcement as they uh, tell us about the arrests that are a result of tips that have come off of Crime Stoppers. It is invariably, it, it is never somebody who, oh, well, he stubbed his toe and he, he ran over your dog and he didn't mean to. It is always a dangerous, habitual, hardcore, recalcitrant person. Always. It's hard to just, we sit there and shake our heads. They're about 1% of the total population. And yet they're responsible for between 50 and 75% of predatory violent crime. 1% of the population is responsible for 75% of the violent crime. So they're, the only time they aren't committing crimes is when they're in prison. Well, they're not committing crimes on innocent people. They may be committing crimes on each other in prison, but they're not committing crimes on innocent people. That's the only time that you're safe from being a victim of their behavior is when they are not taken down to the courthouse and let go, go, because it doesn't change it. Only when they are locked up. Now, the it is about a, a one to hundreds. Each criminal, predatory, habitual criminal, is able to victimize hundreds 
of individuals. So one, it's one to hundreds. One guy can victimize over a hundred individuals. Okay? Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Now, the liberal reformers have turned these justice departments, if you will, into revolving doors. I've sat in the courtrooms and listened to it. I said, I say, I sit on the board of Crime Stalkers. I listen to it. In 1960, let me see if I get this right. Violent crime exploded when the liberal progressive got a hold of the court system. It went from 160 crimes per 100,000 population to 758 per 100,000 population. And that's in 1991. It's much higher now. Here are some of the stats that we're, we're looking at as victims of being of these predators. Um, nationally, murder, get this now. Nationally, murders serve fewer than six years on average. Did you hear me? Nationally. Murderers serve fewer than six years on average. In Texas, oh, and the average for rape is three years. In Texas, offenders serve only 15% of their sentences. Five of eight felons released from prison are arrested for new crimes within three years. Okay. When did we start the progressive attitude? I got to tell you, all roads lead back to this moment. The resurgence of progressive policies in the criminal justice system were ushered in with the Obama administration. The Obama administration demonized the cops. And as soon as the Obama administration demonized the cops, remember he had a little beer garden drink there and berated the cops for knocking on the door of the black law, whatever the heck it was, okay? Obama administration demonized the cops. Right away, uh, the crime rates headed back up. So, meanwhile, progressives have no real solution except to say, well, there are root causes that produce this criminal. I saw one of these goofball city commissioners of Gainesville, take your pick, I don't know which one it was, say that single family zoning created criminals 
because they were discriminated against racially from living in single family zoning. Uh, I, you know, single family zoning, the point of this crazy goofball's comments were based upon racism. Let me tell you the only thing I know about single family zoning. You got the money, you can afford to live there. So you think home ownership is going to discriminate? How about if you got the money, you can afford these rents now? It is nuts. You know, on that city commission of Gainesville, there are no builders. There are nobody, there's nobody up there who's ever risked his own money on a project. The cost of keeping a chronic violent criminal in prison is small compared with the cost of letting him roam the streets. That's the summation of that article. That's the summation of that article. I went over to check to see what black folks thought about this. And this is from Washington Examiner. Black Americans, the progressive sermon is, or most likely be imprisoned. And so therefore, there was this rollback on rates of arrest and imprisonment for black Americans. Meanwhile, the rate of white offenders being sent to prison actually increased. So it's not that the black communities are being victimized by whites. It's that black communities are being victimized by blacks. And the black communities want an increase in the support of police. Only 17% of black voters say they support defunding the police. This uh, poll was conducted by an outfit called GRIO and KFF. It was published Wednesday. They asked a thousand black adults who say they are registered to vote for their opinion on policing. About half of those polled, 48%, said they would like to see police funding kept about the same, while 34% said they wanted increased financial support. Just 17% said they wanted it decreased. Of black voters living in urban areas, and yes, black folk live in urban areas. 39% supported increased funding. And that was a 10-point jump of black voters living in uh, suburban areas uh, since the last time they took the poll uh, a few years ago, yet last year. The poll also found that three in four black voters viewed criminal justice and policing as a very important factor in their decision about who to vote for. So here is Biden running around making abortion 
the campaign issue. When even black suburban urban residents want crime to be the issue because they are victimized too by these predatory criminals. How did this defund the police effort get growth? Well, it started with Obama and it grew, of course, exponentially with George Floyd. When that trial was able to convince the public that George Floyd's behavior wasn't his responsibility, lifelong behavior, it was responsibility of the police, it ushered in the Black Lives Matter movement. And of course, who piled on that movement? Ocasio-Cortez, Tahib Omar, what is really the squad. They beat the drums for that. And that has gotten us to the place where we are. And that is one of the issues we will be watching to see if there is a moment where the public steps up and uses that as an issue in their midterm elections. So the progressive prosecutors of crime, we'll see how that affects voting in the midterm. Because right now, people, from what I can see, from what I've presented to you to study, is the balance between public safety and human dignity. And the smoke screen is at its racially unbalanced. It's not racially unbalanced. It's unbalanced in terms of predatory criminals who are treated as if they're not predatory criminals. Well, we'll have a good guest tomorrow. We're going to try to really get into a good discussion about single member districts and educate you about uh, as much as we can about what's on the line with it. It's on the ballot. I'll be, uh, I've been asked many, many times about it. I'll have a class tomorrow about it and probably uh, one more class about it to make sure that you hear some of the people from the community talk about it. And have a great day. Warhol Command Center out.